Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chollett. Thanks to Luke for sitting in yesterday. I was off on a secret mission, which we'll find out about next week, uh, just to keep you teased. Uh, hello uh, today to Adam, who listens to the podcast uh, while doing the washing up. Uh, yesterday, the dishes were done a bit quicker than five minutes at the window, watching a couple of grebes on the canal. I live in Amsterdam. Strange birds, grebes, coots, sociopaths, absolute thugs. So thank you for that, Adam. Do let me know where you listen to the podcast. You can email me, matt.cholly at times.radio. Uh, you can also get in touch if you want to play the quiz on the uh, radio show as well. Can you get to number 10? It's basically 10 uh, general knowledge questions. That's all you've got to do. Get all 10 right and you'll become our show's Prime Minister, matt.cholly at times.radio if you want to do the quiz as well. Right, coming up on the podcast today, 20 years ago, a guy called Jimmy set up a thing called Wikipedia. You may have heard of him. Uh, we get, I've been speaking to him to find out how the site has changed in the last 20 years, what he's got out of it, why he's about the only uh, tech founder who isn't now a multi-billionaire and putting things into space, and uh, the role of Wikipedia when we're trying to tackle uh, fake news online and all of that. Uh, so that's coming up in the podcast shortly. But first, as ever, our columnist panel, and on a Tuesday, it's Finkovich. That's Danny Finkelstein and David Ivanovich. Meet the Cerberus of columnists, the Janus of journalism, and the ultimate political portmanteau of opinion. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Finkelvich, with Daniel Finkelstein and David Aronovich, on Times Radio. <laughs> oh, it's so silly, that! Oh dear. Anyway, good morning, Danny. Good morning. I'm going to have that played when I come down to breakfast. <laughs> the only because as we know, you and David will then expect David to come as well. Exactly. But... You and David live together with like sort of Morecambe and Wise, don't you? So that that would be fine. Yeah, like the Beatles in Help. Yeah. <laughs> morning, David. As well, how are you? <laughs> good morning. <laughs> 
Oh, I'm glad I dug that out. We had that made ages ago and we thought it was too silly to use. But actually, it is so silly, I think we might now use that on, uh, on a weekly basis. Good. Well, it's nice to have you with us. Nice to have you with us. So let's talk um, uh, DIY disasters, uh, if you like. Number 10's uh, renovations uh, and leaks and all that. And Danny, you've written a piece in The Times today where you think that the, uh, the, the, the renovation, the who paid for the flat renovations might well be Boris Johnson's biggest headache. Well, it's not the renovations. The, the, it's who paid for them. Yeah. So it, it, one of the problems with this uh, political scandal is there's nothing he can do about it going forward because it's all behind him. So it's all based on what did he do um, and um, and he can't undo what he's done. Um, well, it may be that people don't mind um, that the Prime Minister received money um, from a donor funneled through the Conservative Party to pay for his personal living expenses. Um, and, you know, judging by quite a lot of the comments underneath my column uh, in the paper this morning, the, the, the news analysis piece I wrote overnight, um, maybe it's people don't mind. Um, but I think um, one of the... I mean, I've said this before on Redbox, I, these, uh, on, 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 on your show and, and then been on Redbox, um, people won't mind until they do, right? And this may not be the one that they mind about. Uh, but if you continually do things like this, you're lax about the rules, uh, you think they don't apply to you, well, one day uh, the rule that Prime Ministers aren't caught by these things won't apply to you either. David, which, which, which of these various strands of awfulness coming out of number 10 vexes you, <laughs> you most? Uh, uh, before we start, I have to say that kind of yapping I can hear behind Danny is that Cerberus? Uh, <laughs> it is the two-headed two dog of news. Because <laughs> <That's right. laughs> if so, he's rather underwhelming. If you ask me, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure incredibly She'd love cute. to be Cerberus. <laughs> um, uh, uh, like Danny, one of the things that I'm very interested in, in about all this is how people split into saying. And this is people of all kinds of political persuasions. It doesn't make any difference, no matter what it is, because it's a kind of variant of it's not what people are talking about on the doorstep and so on. And I agree with Danny that it doesn't matter until it matters, and then it could matter quite a lot. So we have there are reasons why we have things like having to declare an interest. So some of the logic of people who says it doesn't matter would literally be it doesn't matter if MPs declare interests or not. Well, that's a recipe for a very bad time, and it's one of the reasons why you know and that's the reason why we have why we do have those rules so if indeed it is the case that actually he's trying to get away without declaring a rather substantial uh, 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 interest or payment or so on um, or there is a kind of other interest there that 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 will and could matter and Dan is also right which is um, these things are kind of cumulative. The Conservative Party has been in power for a very long time now. Uh, and I don't really think it would take a kind of, you know, a massive uh, uh, change for Labour to be more competitive. There are all kinds of electoral problems with that, not least the situation in Scotland and so on. But it's not inconceivable that the Conservatives could be in a position of losing their majority. And at that point, these kind of perceptions could easily matter in certain places at certain times but then there's the other point which is some of these things actually just do matter uh, and they should matter to us whether or not they matter electorally 
um, or not. Um, uh, this, this question about whether or not the electorate's going to take any notice can become a bully point if you're not very careful. And it means that you're kind of gradually taken away from questions of behaviour and morality and ethics. Um, and that's a kind of bad situation for all of us if that happens. I suppose the thing is, is that the whole point is it doesn't matter if no one in the country is following uh, the ins and outs of of Westminster, but if an if you know if a you know if a if a minister was seen to have taken some money which influenced the decision, and we found that out because it was declared, uh, then that you know then it should be out of the public, and that minister should resign. Part of the problem is that it's the last bit of that equation. If 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 the prime minister uh, doesn't uh, sack his home secretary when found to have broken the ministerial code. Uh, if he doesn't, you know, if he keeps his housing secretary, even, you know, when he seems to have signed off a deal for a property developer who'd given money to the, the Tory party, if, if if everyone involved in the game isn't signed up to the accepted rules of the game, then sort of, what, Danny, what's the, what's, the, what's the point? You know, the, it, it feels like... It, it's the, interesting that you... And we've got to revisit the whole question of who makes the judgment on the ministerial codes because people are marking their own homework. And the other thing we've got to revisit on the ministerial code, by the way, is the presumption that if you break the ministerial code in any respect, you have to uh, resign because it produces an expectation uh, that, um, that, that that won't be met and leads you into the absurd situation where the ministerial code is quite plainly broken and the government ends up pretending that it hasn't been, which is exactly what happened in the Priti Patel case. It should be possible. Indeed, it should have also been possible in the Dominic Cummings case for people in politics to say, I think this was wrong. I apologise. Um, I won't let it happen again. Um, but I'm not going to resign, right? Um, and I don't expect this person to resign. And then if it does happen again, obviously the situation changes. So um, I, I've been worried about various aspects of of the, the management of the ministerial code, and this is one of them. Yeah. And my dog... And Cerberus, Cerberus agrees. <laughs> Cerberus agrees there. It all, and Cerberus agrees a lot. Um, it, it was one of the kind of interesting things about the Nicola Sturgeon thing, that Scottish Tories, with support of uh, Tories back in, uh, back in the rest of the United Kingdom, were incredibly adamant that Nicola Sturgeon would have to resign if she was found to have broken the ministerial code if the Hamilton... Uh, inquiry had declared that she had broken the ministerial code but as soon as it comes to the UK doesn't seem to give a tinker's toss about the ministerial code. Now I'm not saying that I think that people in Stoke Poges or, or you know or Red Wall seats have noticed that uh, uh, that contradiction but that contradiction undoubtedly takes away from the authority of say their denunciation of Nicola Sturgeon. It, it renders it actually, to have no moral yeah. worth at all. Yeah, maybe in that case we should... It, there's a sort of responsibility on the part of journalists to sort of not report those, or to, or to you know, not give credibility to, to, to those. I mean, part of my thought... And actually, yesterday, I was travelling quite a lot yesterday, so I did listen to quite a lot of coverage of this whole round. And I think part of the problem, particularly on the leaks uh, side, is that you've got... But did Boris Johnson say he was, he was happy... He'd rather see bodies piled up in the streets than have a third lockdown? Well, the, the point is... We didn't see bodies piled up in the streets, and we did have a third lockdown. It's a bit like David Cameron in his lobby, because he didn't. David Cameron didn't end up with two hundred million pounds uh, from Greens. You know, the, the the lobbying story. For David Cameron did lots of lobbying, but the ultimate upshot was <laughs> he, he got nothing out of it. Boris Johnson well, said something. You know, it appears that lots of suggested that Boris Johnson said something incredibly crass and insensitive, but it didn't happen. Uh, and he did end up having a third lockdown, and now the vaccination programme is going very well, and that's the only thing that people really give. 
two hoots about, rather than something he may or may have not yeah. shouted through the door of an office three or four months ago. Well, had he been recorded, I agree with you. would that have made a difference? Sorry, Danny, go on. Well, part of me thinks... No, no, I strongly agree with that. The Prime Minister Uh, should be able to shout things in his Downing Street office without people recording it, surely. No. He's fortunate (laughs) that this is where the focus is. Because I'm sure that your view will be widely shared, right? If he... If people... people to sort of say you can say stupid everyone says stupid things right uh, and expostulate stupid things and he has a particular way of saying things i think most people will take that view it's different by the way the view about whether they think he did the right things in those periods whether he started the lockdown early enough and i think there are serious public policy questions about that but i doubt he'll pay a political price for that and my view is the more that people are focused on, you know, Dominic Cummings said he said this, then he said he didn't say it, but it didn't happen. Uh, the, the the less people are going to focus on an issue where I think he would probably be in more trouble if they was more uh, focused on it. Um, but, um, you know, one of the things that Boris Johnson's had politically has been quite a lot of luck. Hell of a lot of luck. It is interesting, isn't it, how um, uh, Gordon Brown got into an incredible amount of trouble for a thing he said about somebody, not indeed to her face, uh, that bigoted woman, had to kind of apologise. Over interpreters did what they always do, which was say this was the turning point of the entire century (laughs) uh, and so on. But nevertheless, it seemed to have a kind of significant effect, but only because you could hear him saying it. If Boris Johnson had been taped saying that, it would have been catastrophic. Uh, absolutely, I have no doubt about that at all. It would have been catastrophic. It would be played and replayed and replayed. But because it's only reported speech, albeit with significant authority, it won't have the same level of effect. And there's there's something for us to kind of recall there um, uh, when it comes to reporting or re- uh, or responding to these things. That actually, it's quite often simply the luck of whether or not somebody has been taping you. If Dor- if Dominic Cummings has actually or did actually tape Boris Johnson saying that, then in that case, I think that's a lot of trouble. I'm still not... Because the the problem is there were two stories. There's the chatty rat who leaked the story story of the lockdown in November and there's the Boris Johnson saying he didn't want another lockdown. And so the, the, the problem with the two stories, they basically contradict each other. You've got, on the one hand... Boris Johnson saying something outrageous about not having a lockdown, and on the other hand, is about Boris Johnson having a lockdown, and so the whole thing just becomes, you know, the reality well, we is Boris Johnson uh, did or didn't say something stupid, but we did end up having a second lockdown, and we had a third lockdown, and there weren't bodies piled up in the street. So, idiot says something. Well, stupid. actually, he actually we had one late, and there were bodies that piled up, albeit not in the streets, and we all know that he was reluctant to do to have that lockdown. So I'm not totally sure it works in that way, and I'm not even sure that people would go through that pit, that that process of uh, of thought. It would be enough if the voice was heard. Yeah, 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 maybe. maybe. What we're establishing, Matt, here is 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 that with all these scandals, you simply it's a fool's game to try and predict what yeah. the impact will be because David's completely correct. It may change. Uh, you know, completely overnight, if it turns out someone has a tape of these things, or it turns out that he, he said something irresponsible to someone else, you know, you just can't tell. Uh, what I think you can tell is that if you allow one after the other after the other of these sorts of things to happen, you employ someone like Dominic Cummings in your government, uh, you make these kind of very odd decisions about how to finance the decoration of your flat. One of the one of these will end up causing you substantial difficulty. It's just very hard to predict which one of them it is in advance. 
<laughs> the dog certainly agrees with you. Honestly, we've had more messages about the dog yeah. than anything else this morning. Uh, just, <laughs> let's completely change the subject uh, and talk about Aberdeen and uh, the company, um, uh, this, this standard life Ab- Ab- Aberdeen, which has decided to get rid of vowels as part of its rebrand. Um, uh, I mean, it'd be quite. Ha- it, the trouble is, you two have both got quite a lot of um, consonants in your name. So if you did get rid of vowels, it, still, it doesn't really help uh, shrink it down particularly. Um, uh, Danny, do rebrands <laughs> like this ever work? Daniel Finkelstein. I mean, I, honestly, I do. I sit on, um, you know, I sit on boards, and I've and, and I've been a customer um, through through one of them of Aberdeen. And I mean, how are we supposed to pronounce that? You know, you're supposed to call up the person, the, the investment analyst, to tell us how our Aberdeen. But investments are going. It's just bizarre uh, uh, how they could have come up with that idea. Um, yeah, so um, it's one of the things in politics, if you ever end up uh, discussing having a relaunch, you know that you immediately you're in trouble <laughs> and we all remember what happened with Change uh, UK. Um, and there was always that, uh, when, when, I, when the SDP continued, there was a whole, uh, uh, with, when it split with, the, when the Liberals, part of it split and joined the Liberals and part didn't. And then the bit that went on ended up having the SDP with a tick on the end of it. Uh, you know, how you rebrand these. And, and uh, by the way, one of the things, after the 1997 election, when the Conservative Party was in a lot of trouble, um, we, uh, we ended up, uh, feeling that we could get the Sunday newspapers every week to cover the story of whether we were going to get a new logo because everyone was so interested in that that we could stop them writing anything else for week after week. It used to be like a little competition. Um, <laughs> to see, uh, and in the end, we did uh, change the logo, but it didn't really make very much difference unless you changed the underlying product. Well, I've been wondering whether or not we shouldn't actually change the name of this little uh, sequence we do from Finkelvich to the more dynamic-sounding Aerofink. Um, uh, with this kind of I I think it has a kind of connotation of speed of thinking and that kind of London rootsy side with think you know I think etc so I I, I was going to suggest that Uh, or that on the spirit of that we all now work for Teetums UK, um, uh, which would be which would be really good. It would be very 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 modern. We stick it on the masthead of the time, not the Times. Who wants the Times? Teetums UK, which distinguishes us from the New York Times and the LA Times and the Times of India uh, uh, and so on. Um, and then I was thinking about Aberdeen. You wouldn't have a problem with this at all if you're Polish, because Poles actually quite often can get through whole incredibly long names without any vowels in them, <laughs> uh, and so on. So they probably wonder what on earth the fuss is all about. It just thinks it's kind of very kind of simple thing. It's quite obvious how to say it. <laughs> maybe, so maybe that's what they're doing. They're hoping to break the Polish market. But before we do have a rebrand, I think we definitely need some sort of away day. Um, the three of us need to go off somewhere with a flip chart and, um, you know, brainstorm. Um, at great expense, um, probably with lunch laid on as well. I think that's definitely what we need to do. Uh, I'm worried that we're going to have to... What, what is the name of your dog, Danny? Aidan. Uh, uh, very good. Well, I think we, that, that now needs to be added into Finkelfitch. Uh, we'll try to... Yeah, all, all ideas suggested for that would be much appreciated. Uh, Nick says, the comedy timing of Cerberus barking in the background on Matt Jolly's uh, is up there with the very best. Well, thank you for that. I'm glad you're listening to the dog rather than me, Danny or David. That's Danny Finkelstein and David Iwanovich there, and you can read them both in the Times every week. Uh, just get yourself a Times subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, I speak to Jimmy Wales, founder of Wikipedia. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for my interview with Jimmy Wales, the founder of Wikipedia. How did Wikipedia start? Because obviously now it's this monster, which we'll come on to, uh, in terms of the um, you know the number of pages and the amount of information that's on it. But presumably at some point there was the very first page on Wikipedia. Did you write it? What was it about? How did it, how did it start? <laughs> uh, yeah, so back in 2001, I had had a prior project called Newpedia. Uh, same goal, but very academic, very top-down. Didn't really work. That was getting to be frustrating. And I had heard about this software idea called Wiki, meaning a website anyone can edit. So I set up the first uh, Wiki software, free software package I found online, and I typed uh, hello world uh, and hit save. And that was the first words of Wikipedia. And that was back in January of 2001. And then how did it grow? How quickly did it sort of take off uh, to to grow into the sort of what we know today? Yeah, we had a good, uh, a fairly good sized community already uh, who were trying to work on the Newpedia project, which is very um, hard to work with. Uh, and so we actually got more work done in the first two weeks uh, than we had in, in the first two years. So we, we had about, uh, I don't know, a couple dozen articles fairly quickly. Uh, and then it just from there, it just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. Um, and, you know, at, at one point, our traffic was doubling. Uh, every couple of months. Uh, that was quite an intense time period. Um, and then today, you know, we're seen by hundreds of millions of people every month. And we're, you know, part of the infrastructure of the world, really. It is extraordinary what, how, how you're right. Part of the infrastructure of the world is a really good way of putting it. But what is the etiquette of who, I know anyone can edit, but who who can edit what? How much time do you spend? Do you still spend much time editing pages on there? Um, I, yeah, I spend some. I spend time uh, talking to the community uh, really more than anything else. It's <clears throat> about editorial policies and behavioral policies and things like that is what I focus on. Actually, just yesterday, I, I, I'm i from Alabama and I found myself on a page of a list of songs about Alabama. And I went down in my hometown, Huntsville, Alabama was listed. And there were about seven songs and I was skeptical. I went through the entire list. I kicked out five of them because they weren't about... <laughs> Huntsville, Alabama. They were about Huntsville, Texas, where the famous prison is, um, or they didn't exist or whatever. So I just, 
I don't know, I spent more time than I should have researching <laughs> songs about Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, but, you know, yeah, anybody can participate. Uh, we do have certain rules uh, around behavior, mainly, uh, and quality. Uh, you know, we want everything to be reliably sourced. Uh, Wikipedia is not a place to just come and spout your random opinions. If you want to do that, you can go on Twitter or whatever. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, we we do expect we have a a universal code of conduct. We expect people to be kind to each other and uh, friendly and helpful and so on and so forth, which we kind of, you know, somewhat live up to and somewhat don't. I mean, we're human beings in a community. So uh, but we really try hard to be a nice place on the Internet. And uh, who who spends their days editing on Wikipedia? Am I am I wrong for thinking it's a particularly geeky type of man it's uh, it, it is yeah yeah it's it's quite it's quite geeky um we uh, think the community is 80 to 85 percent men uh we would like to change that that's a big emphasis within the community the community itself would like to change that um and you know that that sort of diversity in the community is really important not just to be politically correct but just because people from different backgrounds have different information and knowledge you know if, if you're only it's if it's only computer geek men, you get a really fantastic article about the USB standard, uh, but you don't get uh, a really good article about other aspects of life that they don't really pay attention to. And do you know the sort of the gender split on pages about people? You know, because I suppose the, the risk of it, if it's all mm. a certain type of man writing, you know, creating pages, not sure. creating pages, yeah. do you basically yeah, end up I with mean, lots of it, male history, for example, rather than... Yeah, and, and that's actually something that we really, uh, we really focus a lot on, uh, is really saying, look, uh, you know, if you go back in history, so this is the way I always talk about it. If you go back in history and you and you want to write about uh, chemists from the 18th century, um, it is going to be mostly men because, frankly, women were largely excluded from certain professions back in that time. And that's a historical tragedy that we can't actually fix. We can do our best to cover in a in a serious way those who, who were um, able to work in those fields at that time. Where we really focus on it, though, is in, is in contemporary times. Um, if we see that male scientists, male authors are getting more attention than female uh, authors of similar achievement, well, we think that's a that's a terrible thing. Uh, and so there are really concerted efforts to make sure that that uh, doesn't happen, or if it has happened, that it's being corrected. And so is that a sort of active sort of policy that's, that's pursued at Wikipedia? Do you, is it people who work on Wikipedia will either take down some of those male pages or try to counterbalance it with pages about yeah, women uh, in that field? Less likely to take down, more likely to build up, uh, I think would be would be empirically the, the, the way it works. And we have some fantastic uh, groups in the community. There's a group called Women in Red uh, that really focus on this issue of making sure that we're covering history in, a, in an even-handed and fair way and being inclusive and not just sort of being what geeky men know about. <laughs> now, um, so, uh, well, maybe it's a man or woman, I'm not sure, but somebody has set up a page about me in sort of the last uh, 12 months. <laughs> now, I'm always thinking it's very bad etiquette. I mean, there's Actually, there's nothing wrong with it. As Mamiya from um, on Time Daily Breakfast was complaining this morning about it, there are f- mistakes on hers. There's nothing wrong with mine, but it's very bad etiquette for me to edit my own page. Is that right? It's it's not considered ideal um, because it's very hard to be neutral about yourself. Uh, also, you know, uh, I don't know, a tabloid newspaper might notice you doing it and rake you over the coals for it. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, best thing to do is to leave a comment on the on the talk page and, you know, just point out other sources. 
um, or send an email. Uh, that way it can be handled with a little more discretion. It doesn't have to be a big public thing. And that gets handled. It's all handled by volunteer editors, but they'll take a look and, and sort out the problem or try to. So what's your, I'll bear that, I'm currently only a stub. I'm not a, even a full article, so I, I, I should, I'm not going to worry too much. I don't, I don't want to draw people's attention necessarily. To, how do you see your, what is your role? Because it is so massive now. Um, mm. What is your role? You can't be sort of all seeing eye, sort of edit, apart from, you know, songs about no, the town yeah. that you're from. But are you a sort of, because of the community, are you, what's your role in the community? Are you sort of benign I, dictator, constitutional I, monarch? What's your role? I would say really constitutional monarch in the, in the sense of Elizabeth II. In, in, in other words, I'm, I'm, I'm better placed as long as I don't do anything uh, too directly, uh, but I just remind people of our values and what we stand for um, and to help you know, think through policy issues and things like that. But it, it is very much a community-driven project, not a top-down driven project. So um, if we think in the old structures of command and control, that wouldn't be my role. Uh, if we think of, of coaching and leadership in a, in a different light, I, I hope I try to live up to that. And how big is um, Wikipedia, Jimmy Wells, since you, you sort of set it up? How many pages are there? How many words? What, what is this? Yeah. The, the, the full scale of this thing? Yeah, well, we're, we're in uh, over... 280 languages. Uh, that one's a fairly interesting number, although a lot of the <clears throat> those languages, the last 80 or so are actually quite small projects, but they're beginning to grow in the languages of the developing world. There's over 5 million entries in English. Um, we know that uh, we see about one and a half billion unique devices every month. So that doesn't necessarily mean one and a half billion people because you know, probably most people in the developed world see Wikipedia at least once a month on their computer and on their phone uh, and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's really, it really is part of the world in a, in a way that's kind of uh, astonishing to think about. And what's unusual about us is we're a charity. So we're a nonprofit organization. Uh, I don't work at the Wikimedia Foundation. I'm a volunteer, uh, like so many other people. And, um, you know, it's, a, it, it's completely unique in, in the tech landscape. Well, I was going to ask you about that, because if you look at all the other people who set up, you know, tech businesses two decades ago, uh, they've all now um, got squillions of pounds. They're launching rockets. They're sending themselves into space. They're <laughs> all of that stuff. Do you have regrets that you didn't find a way of monetizing Wikipedia in the way that you whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Amazon or, um, Uber no, or whatever? No, it's it's fantastic. I, I always say. In 500 years, people will remember Wikipedia fondly and they won't even remember some of the other things that are out there. So <laughs> I think what we're doing is, is of long term importance. Also, not not long ago. I mean, I know a lot of those uh, folks you're talking about. Uh, I had a had a Zoom call with a with a billionaire friend and um, he was sitting in his attic, which looked very much like my attic. And I'm like, <laughs> it's the pandemic. You know, we're, we're all I've, I've got a nice attic, the same as a billionaire. So. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, even a billionaire can't escape a lockdown. Um, that's, that's, <laughs> that's apart right. from those if they go into space. Uh, well, I tell you what, in a sec, I want to move on and sort of talk about the role of Wikipedia uh, in the in the world and fake news and and all of that sort of stuff. So, Jimmy Ooh. Wells, stay there. Um, we'll we'll talk more after this. Times Radio with Matt Chorley. Yeah, Matt Chorley joined by Jimmy Wells, uh, the founder of uh, Wikipedia. Um, Jimmy. 
how in a world where you know we, we worry about fake news and misinformation and all that sort of thing and we know because just because of the size of it as even you discovered some songs mm. about what was it called huntsville is that where you're huntsville, from alabama. huntsville alabama turned out not to be songs from huntsville so how much fake news is there on wikipedia I mean, I would say it's fairly minimal. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting about Wikipedia compared to social media is how much uh, really thoughtful gatekeeping the community does. I mean, they can be very firm about uh, pushing for reliable sources and things like that. So just to give a, a classic example, uh, back when Donald Trump was first running for president, and this is when we first started really getting a lot of concern about the issue of fake news, there was a story that went viral that that said that the Pope endorses Trump. Um, and this was shared thousands and thousands of times. It's obviously completely fake. Uh, something like that. You would never get that into Wikipedia. Like the Wikipedia community would, would look at that and say, oh, that's a weird newspaper. I've never heard of that. And they know all the newspapers because they're doing this all, all the time. Uh, they would check and they say, well, look, if the Pope endorsed Trump, that would be the front page of every newspaper in the world because popes don't tend to endorse presidential candidates. And this particular pope seems like a really nice guy and very unlikely to like Donald Trump. And so if that sort of thing just doesn't make it through the filters at Wikipedia, that doesn't mean there aren't any errors. And it doesn't mean that if there's uh, broader errors that are made in society, you know, uh, if we get facts wrong, even in quality sources, obviously Wikipedia can't, uh, can't sort of resist that. But in general, I think you can say in most of most of the cases, Wikipedia is going to be OK. Uh, we don't pretend that it's perfect. Uh, do you get uh, given that, you know, we, we hear all the time about hostile states and, and you know, sort of um, uh, malign forces of, you know, try to peddle misinformation online. Is that something that happens through Wikipedia, too? The, the, um, it's one thing someone you know getting their facts wrong, getting their sure, Huntsville yeah. songs muddled up. But people posting things on there with sort of malign intent. It, it, you know, in terms of coordinated campaigns, sort of at a state actor level, we haven't seen anything like that. It would be quite hard to pull off because the community is quite a close knit group and they do know each other and so on and so forth. And if you come in and you're pushing one agenda really hard, people will notice that. Uh, I can't say that that no. A uh, biased person has ever edited Wikipedia. Of course, people come in with an agenda all the time. Uh, but in general, our, our methodology, which is, you know, open, thoughtful discourse, really kind of serves to balance all that and to say, OK, look, you're coming in with this perspective. We can look at that and we can sort of see how, how would we incorporate that. But you wouldn't be able to come into Wikipedia on something like, uh, you know, say the, the, the airliner that was shot down in the Ukraine. Uh, where you, you've got two very, very different competing narratives, you wouldn't be able to come in and just sort of wipe out what the New York Times has said with what a newspaper in Russia had said. Uh, you know, it's, it's really, it just, it would be very hard to do that. And is that one of those things where sometimes people change people's Wikipedia pages as a joke just long enough for, um, you know, to get the screen grab, but is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People it, should not do that. <laughs> I disapprove. <laughs> right. Well, we don't. Yeah, we don't want to do that. And is it basically the case then that, that people who are in the community are seeing those updates all the time, and so yeah, that's how yeah. someone catches it so quickly? That's right. Yeah, there are people who are monitoring recent changes, so every change that's coming in. Also, people add pages to their own personal watch list if it's an area where they have some knowledge or interest or expertise. So they'll see it the next time they log in and, and that sort of thing. 
you know, as I say, it isn't a perfect system, but it, it tends to work pretty well. And we, we also have things the community can, can temporarily lock pages if somebody's coming in repeatedly and causing a problem. Uh, we can lock things more permanently if it's a really serious problem. And people get blocked from editing Wikipedia, you know, all the time. It's, it's quite a normal thing to get banned from Wikipedia if you're not behaving properly. Um, we've just had a message in uh, from uh, William asking, how is Wikipedia funded? Every so often I get asked to contribute Ooh. money. I always click through the no options. Uh, do many people make contributions? What's the money spent on? Um, it's a really interesting, sure. it's a really interesting Fantastic. question. Fantastic, yeah. yeah. So, so the vast majority of the money that funds Wikipedia is exactly that. It's the small donations. Uh, that, that is more than 90% of our, of our income. Uh, we have some major donors, uh, and you know, major donor meaning like ten thousand and up. Um, we have a little bit of corporate money, but it's m- the bulk of the corporate money is basically matching gifts. Employers who are matching what what the employees are giving, um, and occasionally we get philanthropic grants from foundations and things like that. But really, the the backbone of it is the the small contributors, and we really like it that way. It means we have a certain kind of intellectual independence. It means we're we're reliant on the general public, not on uh, you know, sometimes people say to me, oh, why don't you just get Apple and Google and Facebook to pay for it? And I say, mm, let's let's just think, <laughs> is that really what you want? Right. I think you really don't want us to be beholden to anyone. Uh, we're we're Wikipedia and we should be independent. And then um, what's the money spent on? Well, we we try to run the Wikimedia Foundation in a very uh, conservative fashion. So every year we bring in a little bit more money than we spend. So we over the years, we build up our reserves. Uh, the money goes for a lot of, uh, we support local chapters all around the world. So we've got a Wikimedia UK, for example, uh, and they do sort of local meetups and events and uh, sort of partnerships with galleries, libraries, and museums. We have uh, the the tech staff. So the, the people who are doing software development and the people who are keeping the website running on the air. So operations, we've got accounting, finance, legal, you know, all the sort of standard operations, communications people. Um, it's pretty straightforward, really. I mean, considering how in some ways people think of Wikipedia as being quite radical, we're actually quite a kind of a normal nonprofit organization, really. Do you occasionally get people beating up past your door saying, you know, they want to buy it, but big tech billionaires, they can slap a load of adverts on it um, uh, and make, <laughs> make loads of money out of it? Not, not in a long time, no. <laughs> I, I think they're, they're aware that's not really going to happen, so... And in the sort of the the, the interaction uh, politically, do you get a lot of you know? There's obviously a lot of debate about government uh, conversations with Twitter and Facebook and their their role in the sort of what goes on online. Do you have a lot of interaction with 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 government? We we do. I mean, we we try to uh, sort of educate lawmakers about the internet, about what we're doing. Um, you know, we because we're so unique, uh, we have a unique voice in the sense that. You know, on on various issues like copyright, we we you know often copyright issues online are considered to be some kind of uh, battle between Hollywood and Silicon Valley or the music industry in Silicon Valley. We come at from a completely different perspective. Like we're a group of volunteers trying to write an encyclopedia, and we d- depend very much on a free and open internet. Um, and and so we do have a voice in those matters. And then we we also have had. Cases uh, in the past and in the present where Wikipedia gets blocked in various countries. Uh, So we were blocked in Turkey for quite some time. And um, we fought that all the way to the Supreme Court in Turkey and won. And so now we're unblocked in Turkey. Um, And then I, so I end up doing a lot of 
diplomatic mission. So I go uh, meet with ministers in different places who are, are blocking us or thinking about blocking us to persuade them that that's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, you know, th- oftentimes we do get called on to, to offer a perspective on, on various things. Um, I wonder how the, the current British government compares on your sort of rankings of, of government's commit- commitment to openness and truthfulness. I mean, it's it's hard to say. They 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 often say things that are completely nonsense, uh, but that's not unique around the world. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's it's sometimes is is difficult because uh, they become they they get enamored of a certain kind of concept. Uh, uh, you know, like one of the examples that I could could go on about is uh, there the, the UK government tends to say weird things about end-to-end encryption. Um, which don't make any sense whatsoever, but they get this view in their heads that somehow end-to-end encryption is the enemy, even though it's literally one of the most important and powerful tools on the internet for everyone's security and safety. Um, and it's very hard to, to get them because it's very easy to say, think of the children uh, and, and very hard to, to sort of move them past that. But in general, I think, you know, uh, the UK is, you know, I'd say quite typical of, of Western governments. They, they're, Kind of okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of okay. I mean, that's not a ringing endorsement. <laughs> in this week of all weeks, it's one they might. Uh, it's one they might take. Is there, <laughs> is, what? What can society do? Because you know, in a way, you've built the model for this. The, the idea of a community response to trying to get out mm. what is true and what isn't. Do you think there's something going on in British society right now? There's a big debate about whether or not the prime minister tells the truth, and people can't really mm. get a handle on it. And some people say it doesn't matter. Is a society we sort of are we giving up on truth? Is something that we need to worry about? I mean, I, I don't think we're we're giving up on truth. I mean, I, I think what what is interesting is that you know people are very passionate about knowing what's going on. Uh, they want to know the truth. Uh, certainly, we've seen in the in the times of the pandemic, we've seen a a rise in people turning to trusted sources of information, largely. Uh, people say they, they trust, you know, uh, the, the government medical websites, so the NHS and, and things like that, and that they don't trust other things. But of course, we know there's a segment of society who get far more attention than they probably deserve, who are sort of, you know, they think 5G causes COVID or whatever, those kind of crazy ideas. Uh, so we're not necessarily reaching everybody we haven't reached some sort of pro-truth utopia but i think if we really look at the broader trends people do care about quality they want good media they want uh, thoughtful dialogue and interaction uh and a lot of the systems that we've built um you know the the social media uh ecosystem aren't really serving that demand they aren't really uh giving people what they really want and i think people are dissatisfied with it now, how do you move beyond it? That's a whole other complicated topic. But. Do you think ultimately it means more regulation of the internet? Is regulation of the internet uh, doable, desirable? Well, I mean, I think the, the, the question of regulation is a really, really difficult and complicated one. And certainly regulation around the truthfulness of what random people on the internet are saying is, is kind of a non-starter. It's not exactly clear what, what could be meant by that. Um, and you see oftentimes people pushing for some kind of regulation of the internet aren't necessarily the people who are in favor of more truth on the internet. I mean, certainly Donald Trump was on a rampage to regulate big tech, um, but he clearly didn't have truth as his motive. So uh, it's a, it's a, you know, 
it's a minefield. And, uh, you know, I think that where I would look at some interesting questions around regulation would be, you know, if we look at uh, some of the, the, the monopolistic choke points, I think that's what's going to get a lot of attention. You know, uh, there's been a, a really interesting uh, debate in the tech community, or I, it's not so much a debate, but just a thing that's happened. A, uh, a, a company, well-respected tech company, small tech company has introduced a new email service called hey.com. I have no, I'm not endorsing them or anything. I just know of this story. And, you know, Apple was insisting that they offer a way to pay through Apple and Apple would take 30% of it. And, and they didn't want to do that. And it was a big battle. And it's a, it's a really interesting thing because Apple has an, a massive lock on the, uh, the platform of the iPhone. They take a 30% cut of all kinds of stuff. Uh, and for small companies trying to get a foothold in that space and compete, for example, with the Apple email product, um, it's it's an open question. And, and that's the kind of area where I think if we're really concerned about big tech, it isn't about Section 230, which is about, you know, people's right to 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 speak online and, and so on. It's really about that kind of economic issue. And do you think that's something that the, the UK government uh, should sort of get a handle on to look at breaking up those monopolies, yeah, Apple and so on? Well, I mean, it's interesting because breaking up is, is kind of the classic response. But for some <laughs> of these things, it's kind of hard to figure, like, you know, how do you, you break up Facebook? It's like, you know, it's like, well, these people can't be friends with those people on one platform still. You know, they are somewhat universal. Um, but I, yeah, I, I just, I, but I don't pretend to have any particular answers here, but I'm just saying, if you're concerned about excess power, um, you know, it, it's really important to be very, very thoughtful about which levers you're, you're thinking about pulling. Just fine, before I let you go, what, what's going to be your next, what's going to be the next issue that you're going to try and tackle? Which, which, which subject are you going to be fact checking on Wikipedia today? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't sort of sit down and edit like an ordinary random person all that often, but uh We'll see. I might go back and, and, and make sure that uh, nobody had any complaints about my edits I did yesterday. So <laughs> just sort of make sure I did the right thing. So. What, what's been the, the most wrong thing that somebody said about you on Wikipedia? Have you ever come across? Do, do people dare <laughs> I mean, to do Most wrong is, is quite extreme. But there was, there was one amusing thing that happened. So someone had, had vandalized Wikipedia and they had inserted a, a sentence saying uh, that in his spare time, he enjoys playing chess with friends. Um, which sounds lovely, but it's, I, I, you know, I, I would like to be that person, but I, I'm not that person. I don't play chess with my friends. Uh, and then, but a magazine picked it up and then it was printed in a magazine. And then somebody used that as a source. And I had to sort of go in and go, okay, here's when the magazine came out. Here's where it was in Wikipedia. Like, it's just not true. So it's, uh, that was an amusing situation. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Listen to my Times radio show every Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Uh, you can listen on DAB radio, on your smart speaker. Get the Times radio app. You can also listen to the Red Box Podcast of the Times radio app as well. And if you want to read about the stories that we've been talking about, then you need a Times subscription to get that. Go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.